Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm Spencer. And I'm Maxine. And we're doing a podcast on PCBs in the Fox River. So back in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, there were several companies, mostly paper mills, that used PCBs in their industrial processes, and then they released those PCBs into the Fox River. And then the corporations that are currently active are the NCR Corporation, Georgia Pacific, and PH Gutfelter. NCR Corporation is there to maintain the caps of the dredging and Georgia Pacific and PH Gutfelter are there to continue pay their part of the cleanup. Yeah, so all of this, this sediment that's been contaminated with PCBs in the Fox River, that is being currently being dredged out. And dredging is where a big hose with kind of scissor-like things go into the sediment and then suck up the sediment. And then this sediment goes directly to the treatment facility where the sediment is separated and then dried. And then this dried sediment goes to the landfill. And most of it goes to Hickory Meadows Landfill, which is about 20 miles away from, uh, southeast from Lawrence. This landfill opened up in 1990, gets about 3,200 tons per day. It's all sorts of stuff like municipal solid waste, construction waste, asbestos, and of course, contaminated soil. PCBs or polychlorinated biphenyls have many negative health effects. They're a known neurotoxin. They cause learning deficits. They're also an endocrine disruptor, and they have reproductive effects like decreased birth weight. And they're also a probable carcinogen. We are interviewing Beth Olson from the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. She is going to explain to us some more technical details behind the process of cleaning up the Fox River. Do you want to tell me what it's like working for the DNR and being the Fox River PCB cleanup in contact? So DNR's role in the Fox River PCB cleanup is to oversee the work being done by the corporations that are actually conducting the cleanup. So the corporations who caused the pollution in the first place are responsible for the cleanup and DNR works with EPA to oversee it to make sure that the work is being done in compliance with all of our requirements and all of the federal requirements. My role is as project manager for the state of Wisconsin. So I have a counterpart at US EPA, a project manager there for the federal government. And we work together to oversee the work being done. We work closely with the corporations doing the work as well. But we're not responsible for doing the work. The corporations that are doing the cleanup are those that caused the pollution back in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. The three corporations who are currently active are NCR Corporation, Georgia Pacific, and PH Glassfelter. Did you, I assume you didn't have, like pick the landfills, and in that case, did you do anything with that? Well, the government doesn't choose the landfills. Uh, the corporations doing the cleanup choose the landfill, and then they ask us for our approval for the landfill that they choose. So we make sure that they choose a licensed landfill that it's regulated, and in this case, they happen to have chosen a landfill in Wisconsin that's also regulated by Wisconsin DNR. So I was going to tell you, the majority of the dredge 
spoils went to advanced disposal services, Hickory Meadows Landfill in Chilton, Wisconsin. Where do you see the project going then in the future? The project right now is scheduled to be completed as far as the dredging. That should be completed this year in 2019. But long-term monitoring will continue for years to come. So we started long-term monitoring about nine years ago when the upper stretches of the river that already were cleaned up. And where we see the project going is a continuation of our long-term monitoring of the fish and the water and the sediment to see what the PCB concentrations are doing. Our expectation is that they'll continue to reduce. We also oversee the long-term monitoring and maintenance of any engineered caps. So in the areas where PCBs were left behind in the river, uh, they were covered with an engineered cap. And so overall, the corporations will continue to do long-term monitoring of fish, water, and sediment, and the long-term monitoring and maintenance of the engineered caps. DNR's role and EPA's role will be to oversee that work. And what we see in the future is a, a full recovery of this river, the health of the river and improved conditions. We're already seeing really good results with uh, reductions of PCBs in surface water, up to 90% compared to baseline, and uh, reductions in fish tissue, ranging from 28% less to 98% less of PCBs in fish. And, and that's the driver for the project. It's human health, protection of human health and the environment. And we measure that by um, looking at PCBs and setting fish consumption advisories. Is that a long process to measure all the PCBs in each area, or how does that work? Do you handle that, or does like another corporation handle that? So right now we've had a couple settlements with the three corporations, and so all three of them are fully responsible for doing the long-term monitoring and maintenance, and it's on a schedule. So, so far we've done monitoring events in 2010, 2012, 2014 and 2018 and we will in the future go in five-year cycles so every five years we'll have monitoring events performed by the corporations with oversight from the state and federal agencies and so we're on a schedule we'll be working together on an annual basis and then on those five-year intervals when there's a lot of sampling that's happening we oversee each of those sampling events so we already have a lot of experience doing it and we see it being continuing in that fashion going forward. Why did you choose five years? Is that just like something in specific that you wanted to do, that the DNR wanted to do, or is it something that you had to do? It's a requirement. It's a requirement. So okay. first of all, the five-year interval is part of the USDA's implementation of the Superfund law. That's the CERCLA, or Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act. And CERCLA, or Superfund, covers all these big cleanups. They require every five years for EPA to issue a report on the progress. And so that's part of the reason for five years. The other reason is that within the project itself, the legal requirements are that within one year after dredging is done, you'll do a monitoring event, and then you'll do one two years after that, and then you'll do another one three years after that. So you start out monitoring very close in time, zero year, one year, two year, and then you get into a five-year cycle as well. Sometimes it takes that long to show a change in PCB concentrations in fish, um, but with the events we've already done, we're showing significant improvement already. So that's a sign that it's working. Are there still other places that on the Fox River that don't have improvement? And then if there are, how do you plan on making those improvements? There are not areas in the Fox that we've tested so far that have not shown improvements. Um, in addition to doing the active dredging to remove PCBs, there is also an effort to restore habitat. So when it comes to the toxics, the removal of toxic PCBs, this project's going 
very well. It's working on removing toxics and we're showing reductions in PCBs in the fish and the water and the sediments. The Flex River has other issues related to nutrient runoff, which cause algae and other blooms that are unrelated to the PCB project. So the Fox River overall needs a concerted effort to improve its health. But from a toxic standpoint, we see improvements all along the 39 miles of the river. How did it work for the different waterways on handling that process? Like, how did it work on handling PCBs in, like, Green Bay versus PCBs in Appleton? Appleton is along the 39-mile stretch, and it also includes the Bay of Green Bay. So long ago, in the 1990s, they did a remedial investigation of the river to find out where PCBs were. They noted where the heavy concentrations were, and they were near the paper mills primarily and downstream from the paper mills. By the time they get to the Bay of Green Bay, they're dispersed and spread out and at much lower levels because they become diluted with natural sediments and clean water in a much bigger system, the bay, as compared to the river. So the Bay of Green Bay is not being actively dredged out in the bay. That's recovering in a natural way over time, and we're monitoring that. Where the mouth of the river meets the bay, that will be actively dredged out a distance of a couple thousand feet in the shipping channel. But the rest of the bay is left for monitored natural recovery, and that's the remedy that was chosen by the government about 12, 13 years ago for the bay. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I think the project is going very well. It's one of the rare collaborative efforts between public and private sector to do a cleanup. It's one of the largest in the world. River of this size and magnitude. The good news about recent settlements is in 2017 and 2018, we entered into settlements with the three remaining corporations, and this guarantees that the work will get done, the long-term monitoring will continue for 30 or more years, and that all oversight costs by the federal government and Wisconsin GNR will be paid by those corporations. The litigation that was ongoing for years was also ended by these recent settlements. So that's the last piece of good news about the project. From a technical standpoint, it's going well. We're seeing recovery of the river. And from a legal standpoint, we've resolved differences and we have security in ensuring that the corporations will finish the cleanup and do the long-term monitoring and cover the cost for the government to oversee it. What I really like about this project is that the companies are paying for cleaning up and monitoring the PCBs and the government's role is mostly just to oversee these companies and see that they're doing things right but most of the cost is on the company. Yeah and clearly it's been a very long process and from what I've read it's took it's taken a lot longer than it was expected to but in the end it sounds like they're making it work and at the end of the day the river will be clean. We are interviewing Tim Hanna, who is the mayor of Appleton, has been the mayor of Appleton since 1996, and we are interviewing him because we would like to know his thoughts about the PCBs on the Fox River and how it affects the community as a whole. We'll be talking about the Hmong people. The Hmong people in the United States were originally from southern China, Vietnam, and Laos. We don't have a lot of data on who's fishing and how much fish they're consuming. There was a qualitative study on Hmong people and it showed that indeed Hmong people do enjoy fishing, or a lot of them do, and it's part of their culture. We don't know how much fish they're consuming. We were wondering who was like the most affected specifically in terms of demographics by the PCBs. Okay, I'm just going to tell you, this, 
just what I know, okay? Okay. Um, you know where they came from, yep. right? Okay. And started to see some of the impacts on uh, birds, okay. right? The cormorants with deformed bills and things like that. And uh, I think they traced that back to eating fish that had been contaminated with PCBs. And then more research came out. The most affected demographics in the city were probably our Asian population, our Hmong population, when they resettled here, like to fish and would right, go down naturally, go down to the river and fish and pull out the fish and eat them. They were probably most affected. And of course, DNR put out the, the warnings about eating the fish or how much fish. You have to eat a certain concentration for it to, you know, build up in your body and then to have a, a negative impact. But I think that's the, demographically, that's was impacted the most. How long did you know about it in the beginning? Okay, let me just talk about the river in general, okay? okay? So I was born here, I grew up here, I lived not far from the river. The river was not the kind of place where you wanted to hang out. It was dirty, it was smelly, it's just not a good place. I like to say this river was a hard-working river from the day that it was settled up here in northeast Wisconsin. They used the river for transportation. I'm sure they used the river for sewage. They used the river for power. You know, the river drove the grist mills. It drove the sawmills. But we pretty much abused the river. And then the paper industry grew up. Largest concentration of paper mills in the country, this stretch of the river from here to Green Bay, for a long time. And of course, part of that abuse was the PCBs, which at the time they didn't know they were harmful. Okay, so that's history. So what was your question? <laughs> um, like, <laughs> how long did we did you know that they know? were? Okay, so my best recollection is probably back in the 70s, there was more awareness of PCB and the issues surrounding PCBs. From the city's perspective, we got pulled into this whole thing because we accepted waste from one of the paper mills that the PCBs were coming from. So that industrial waste came through our municipal system, and our system at the time was not sufficient to remove the PCBs. So because it passed through our hands, we became partly liable for PCBs and ended up in the river. That's how the city got kind of dragged into it. I became mayor in 1996. Before I got here, there was a lot of work done privately. The paper mills knew that there was a huge liability, and they banded together, and they funded a lot of the research to figure out where the PCBs were in the river. So a lot of that work, and good for them, a lot of that work had been done. There were some nonprofits that were involved. So it's been a long process. Oh, of it's been decades. a long process. A lot of court cases, trying to figure out the liability piece. But in the end, at the end of the day, the river is much, much cleaner today. Not just because of cleaning up the PCBs, but much higher standard for water treatment. We work with a lot of our industrial customers of our wastewater utility pretreatment programs. So if they're producing a lot of waste, they have to have a pretreatment program that is approved by us and approved by the DNR before they send that the, what's left of that waste through our system. 
and then we're held to a much higher standard than... And, and that's not a bad thing. That's okay. It's a good thing. The result is the river is awesome. The fishery has come back. The birds are back. I mean, it's just it's a different river today. People want to be down by the river. Whereas, you know, 40, 50 years ago, it was like they didn't want to be there. So it's good. But PCBs, that's, uh, yeah, it was, it's been a long, long process. So the, the end result was they ended up dredging some spots mm -hmm. where it was more concentrated, and they ended up capping other spots. So it was a combination of both that they ended up with, which is kind of where we were going without the EPA's help in the first place. But that's okay. We got it. It got done. The year after I became mayor, I established the position of, at the time we called it Intercultural Relations Coordinator, and today it's Diversity Coordinator. So we've had that for 21 years. And I created it even though we were 97% white because, number one, we knew things were changing, but number two, more importantly, we had an Asian population here, primarily Hmong, who had resettled here after the war in the 70s and 80s. They had been here 20 years, and many of them still didn't feel welcome here. And we looked at that and we said, that's wrong. They are part of our community, so we need to do a better job of just reaching out to them and making them feel like they are part of the community. So that's why we established that. But at the time when the PCBs were being used in the plants, it's got to be almost 100% white. Mm -hmm. that, that was That's just the demographics of our community. So how do you think this is more of an environmental justice issue? We're trying to relate it back to be, being an environmental justice issue and environmental justice when the environmental impacts a certain racial group or mm. class group, whether it's higher class or lower class. And we said that this was a case where it was done right because it was caught in the beginning. It's getting better over time. Well, so it, it, from an environmental justice point of view, I think knowing that the primarily primary impact was the Asian population who wanted to fish when they came because that's what they knew. That was part of it. And I still think there's a Native American part of it that it goes way back. I mean, these are these are their waters. You know, there were some tribes involved in some of the discussions that we were having. You know, I think from that point of view, it's still, if you want to go way back, yeah, I'd include um, Native Americans and indigenous populations who, quite frankly, have a right to expect that their resources are respected and clean. Do you know that Native Americans were still fishing or are still fishing in the Fox River or are, uh, you know, who, who's still doing that, who has been, who's kind of not been as much? Do you know anything about that? Not other than anecdotally. Okay. You know, today I was down by the river, a retirement facility, and there were two, and I think they were Hispanic gentlemen fishing. Okay, I mean, what does that mean? Right. Two Hispanic guys fishing in the river, okay? Yeah. Does that mean anything? I don't know. I, I still get a, I, I don't, and I don't even know if there are is still a lot of Hmong fish. So did yeah. you learn that they kind of, at the time, they valued, because you talked about that the Hmong were fishing, mm -hmm. were fishing in the Fox. So I guess we don't know right now if, they're still using it as much, or my guess is that there's still some who, 
who enjoy fishing, but I think there's probably more just general public in, in fishing. I know that when we're continuing to develop public access along the river's edge and continuing to develop our trail system, and now we've got the trestles, the one down by Lawrence, is going to be, it's in the design stages now, and so next year we'll do construction, so that old abandoned railroad trestle will be part of a connection. And I think part of that design is to have opportunities to go out like in the middle of that trestle and have a place where they can throw a line in. I think we'll see more and more people as people are feeling more comfortable at the rivers a lot cleaner. So I am creating those opportunities, not for any one ethnic group specifically, but just people in general. We have this wonderful resource here. Let's take advantage of it. And I think, like I said, the fisheries are coming back. There's walleye in the Fox River again. I never thought I'd see that day. And, um, you know, I thought the only thing that lived in there were carp, but it's... No, there's a lot of species that are back, which is good. So my understanding is that the dredging is still going on to some degree? It is. It's getting close. Um, you know, and they're working their way downriver. And I think, you know, some of the, as you would suspect, some of the larger deposits, PCBs are downriver as the mm-hmm. current would carry those things down and currents do, they would naturally deposit them in, in one area. So kind of below the De Pere Dam is just there's a lot, pretty large deposit there. But I know they they were working their way downriver. You don't want to clean up downriver and then you work your way back, disturb some and then carry down and recontaminate what you don't already cleaned up. So yeah, but it's getting close to being done. I know that we're finally done with our the legal side and the litigation and the payments and that just took forever but it's good it's done i never thought i'd see that day and do you know i mean my understanding was that the earlier estimates were that the dredging would have been completed earlier um i think they were um but it's typical with large this is the largest cleanup one of the largest cleanups epa has ever tackled and i know the estimates we're in the billion dollar range and i don't know where we are today in terms of their costs the cost of the cleanup but I think it's not unusual that it's taken maybe a little bit longer. It's part of the normal. Yeah. And yeah. again, that's not a bad thing, is it? I don't care how long it takes, as long as it's they're doing it right. Right. Yeah. And it gets right? done. That's what's important. It's the results that are important. Where do you see the river going in these upcoming years? Do you expect it to grow even more? Like- oh, absolutely. I, there's been such an explosion of, let me put it this way, people naturally think want to be by water. Where do we all go on vacation, or most people, right? The lake, the ocean, the river, canoeing, kayaking, right? I don't know. There's more people that do that than go to the desert, all right? <laughs> right? Where? What's the most desirable place that people want to live? With a view, a view of the water. We have seen an explosion of development along our river. When I first started as mayor, we barely had anything on the river. You know, we had some parks, but now we've got apartment buildings and hotel and I mean all the restaurants and I mean, all sorts of things on the river and it just keeps you know we have new stuff all the time which is awesome. So something I thought that was interesting about our interview interview with Tim Hanna was his point about the disproportionate effect on the Hmong population in Appleton. Hmong people are known to fish pretty frequently along the Fox River. It's an important part of their culture. And then another population that was also affected by the river was the Native American people because this is their waters. And Tim Hanna was actually saying that they have the right to expect that their water is going to be respected and clean. And it is nice to have clean water. But our project kind of started 
when a student uh, said that the PCBs from the Fox River were going to landfill or just going to the Oneida Nation. Um, and we found out that that's not true, which is a good thing. They're going to you know, Hickory Meadows landfill, which is a pretty rural location, pretty isolated from urban areas. I mean, there's a few farms here and there, but it's pretty rural. Yeah, it's notable that even though Appleton is a majority, a significant majority white community, but still the disproportionate effect has been with people of color. Even though this wasn't something that was intentional, no one knew that that's what was going to happen back when the original companies were polluting, the Hmong people hadn't moved into the area right, yet. Right. And yet, in the end, they still ended up bearing the cost. Yeah, because Hmong people came after the Vietnam War. So that was well into the 70s. And the companies stopped polluting after 1971. Yeah, and something else that I thought was interesting was our conversation about how long this project has taken. The original estimates had that the dredging would have been completed a while ago. It's still continuing now. One thing that we were struggling with is that there isn't a lot of information online. So we don't know how hard the companies have been working. We don't know if it's reasonable, if those original estimates were just off or why it's taken so long. But clearly since the um, native Hmong people, since the Hmong people in the area have the need to fish as to maintain their cultural traditions, it is important that it happen quickly, as much as possible, so that they can preserve that. But it's good to know that we're already seeing some of the results from the dredging that, that has occurred. Beth said that pretty much all the areas have seen a decrease in PCB concentrations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For example, it, there was a study that was done on a few areas uh, along the lower Fox River that runs from Green Bay to Lake Winnebago. And it said that pre-dredging surface PCB concentrations averaged 22 parts per million, while post-dredging concentrations averaged 1.1 part per million. That's a pretty big improvement. And it said on average, maximum sediment PCB concentrations were reduced by 84%. So clearly they have made progress, but it's just hard for us to know exactly how we should judge that progress because there isn't enough information available. Right, I think it's important with such a large scale project to let as many people know as possible, to have the information more accessible so people know what's going on. Yeah, it was really hard to even find people to interview for this podcast because it was hard to know which companies were a part of it and to know which companies weren't a part of it still because it changes over time since it's a longer project. And and I think it's important to note that this is one of the largest projects that the EPA has ever done, Yeah, is what Tim Hanna said. Mm-hmm. It's nice to know that it's slowly coming to an end, hopefully within the next like five years. Yeah, clearly the project is on track and it will be completed at some yeah. point. It's in this case where we're trying to fix the problem, we see this as environmental justice. Yeah, and at this time we want to say thank you to Beth Olson and Tim Hanna for working with us and being willing to be on tape for our interviews. And we also want to say thank you to Ben Portson for writing our music. 